Welcome to Art Talks. I'm your host, Richard Codd, and I want to thank you for joining us here today on KZMU at 106.7 or 90.1. My guest will be Justin Tyler Tate, who was born in Canada, and he grew up in the United States and now works internationally. During the past decade as a professional artist, he has exhibited more than 100 projects in over 20 countries and on four continents. His practice draws knowledge from various fields and marries them in order to find solutions to contemporary problems. Architecture, carpentry, botany, cooking, electronics, chemistry, new media, and more are all merged under a singular umbrella of artistic production. So welcome, Justin. Hi, Richard. Hey, it's good to see you, and um, I hope that you're enjoying your visit here and work in Moab. Uh, I am enjoying it, yeah. So tell me, what are you you doing here with the mark? Right now, I am uh, currently in the process of building a interactive installation for Lions Park out of found materials. And you're here, it, it, what's it called? The Mark's Artist in Residence. Yeah. What, what exactly does that mean? It means they uh, invite me here and kind of support me in my art production to create a site-specific installation. And I think I saw you working on one as we were on our way over here to the studio. That's correct. That's the kind of stuff. So let's talk a little bit about your history, your education, um, your background. Well, I did my Bachelor of Fine Arts at NASCAD in Nova Scotia, Canada, and then about 10 years later, um, after some life experience, I did my Master's at Kuvataida Academia in Finland. Um, And then just last year, I started and quit a PhD program. It it wasn't challenging enough or what? It's just too much bureaucracy. Too much bureaucracy. to deal with it. (laughs) Well, is that something that um, do many artists look at some of those kinds of requirements, university or grants, and you say, oh, you just have to do all of this paperwork? Uh, I don't know. I think a lot of artists probably go through it, but I'd just rather spend my time working or researching rather than like doing all this nonsense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You've lived all over the world, and how, how does that affect your art? I think it's probably the other way around mm-hmm. that my uh, work affects my life because I actually never wanted to travel anywhere. I never had like this uh, urge to go other places or somewhere specific. I just kind of followed where my work uh, gave me opportunities to go. Well, talk about that a a little bit more. Um, I know you've been in Norway, and do you think about a project and and say, oh, Norway is the place to go do that, or Chile, or you don't sit down and create a piece of work somewhere um, through some creative process, you first have you go to a place. Is that how that works, or usually uh, the concept is kind of formulated beforehand based on a place where there's an opportunity to to make work, and uh, or I'll select a project idea that that seems to fit that place. Oh, okay, 
Let's let let's talk about your work. Um, I I was looking at it a lot of it uh, earlier today, and perhaps you could explain for our listeners the type of installations and projects that you've been working on. Uh, I think my work is really diverse. It's not like mm-hmm. there's no one real niche that it fits into. Sometimes I'm doing more research and production projects which are more long-term, and uh, I have to spend a lot of time learning about learning a new skill, for example, or learning about a place, and other times it's more of a straightforward installation where I can just build it and it's, it'll take me uh, a month or less. Yeah, but the installations, m- many of them are with, with found objects, with wood, um, they're three-dimensional. Um, they're not, I would say, they're not finished where they're smooth and painted and like a, like a abstract metal sculpture that's sanded. And, and, um, your, your work, it, as I said, m- many wood installations, at, le- at least that, that was one of my takeaways from, from looking at your portfolio. Do you do other work besides uh, uh, the structures? Yeah, uh, I do a lot of other work besides structures. Um, some of my projects have involved distilling alcohol and, uh, say, drawing with found chemistry, like the natural chemicals that are in plants. Um, other times my work is more collaborative. I've uh, done a lot of design work where I design projects and then make them open source and available to everyone else freely. Um, I've designed a, a hotel room at the Ice Hotel. Right, um, right. Lots of different things. Your work it isn't a, a painting on the wall of the Red Rock out here in Moab, where I look at that and I say, oh, oh, that's a, a, a painting of the Red Rock here. So I can see it. I know what that is. Some, some of your installations, and I think interestingly, require a lot of discussion and thought about what it is that I'm looking at. Well, I think that comes down to where or how I consider art to exist. And uh, I think about art more as philosophy manifested in, in three dimensions uh, rather than uh, like a representational image, which I would consider more along the lines of design or craft um, rather than art. So you use mostly found materials. And why is that? I think it comes back to like how I quit my PhD because I didn't like all the bureaucracy. I don't want to waste my time uh, going out and buying materials when I can just use what's already existing. And also the world already has this abundance of materials that already exist. Why should I get new ones when, uh, but when do, does, they're already there? But does that then affect your, your process? Like, do you find, you say, oh, geez, uh, a two-by-four or a round piece of pipe here would be terrific. But you don't, if you don't have it, you just make do. Uh, it affects the design of things a lot. 
but it also gives it like a nicer, I think a nicer quality kind of through my work, I embrace this perfection, imperfection, mm -hmm. um, and try to still make it, um, aesthetic, but mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be perfect. Let's, um, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about some of your pieces. Um, the, the one that I was looking at this morning, and you can tell us about it, was the interpretation of the game Twister. Tell me about that. Uh, that was a work called Touch Me, which uh, I proposed to an art festival in San Antonio right before, maybe two months before COVID started. And uh, so it was really good timing in that regard. Um, but it was just, I had read some studies about how people in contemporary society don't touch enough, like just passively touching, shaking hands, this sort of thing. And uh, or fist bumping now because you didn't yeah. want to shake hands. With. Sure. Um, just kind of these really innocuous forms of contact between people. Um, and so I was reading this study, and so I started thinking of this this project, and uh, and that art festival just seemed like a really good place to do it. Um, and often my work involves games of some sort of pl or play activities. Explain for the listeners just how did that Twister game, how, how did you build that? So I consider it like a performative painting mm -hmm. installation. So I cut out about a thousand vinyl dots, vinyl being essentially the same material as paint, uh, latex paint. And I applied them to uh, an architectural structure that was already pre-existing mm. um, on stairs and on walls and on the, on the ground. And then I act as this kind of barker that you would see at an auction calling out where people had to um, put their arms or, or legs in this group activity of Twister. Yeah, I, I was watching it, and, and we were talking about it a few days ago, and I thought about that, and, and you're right. In our society, you know, it's almost like the old Seinfeld uh, comedy, like somebody's a toucher, somebody's a close talker, somebody's a hugger, and you're right. Sometimes it, it takes either an event where everybody's happy and they're slapping hands, say it of a football game or something. Um, but most people don't go around touching somebody else. And, and especially now when you, th uh, I mean, now you need permission almost to, to touch somebody. And that's okay too. If, if you know, that's, but uh, I like how the, the twister overcame some of that reluctance to move around with other people. Yeah, the change of context makes it somehow okay to like accidentally bump into a stranger and then you just start laughing about it instead of getting upset. Hey, maybe that's a reason why people like to dance too. You know, you're out there and you're moving and you're, yeah, you're perhaps touching other people and maybe that's what a part of the attraction of dancing. Mm -hmm. Oh, there was another one I wanted to follow up on. One was 
about Yeti Snowman. Tell, tell us about that. Uh, Yeti Today is a project or like a short film that I made in 2013 in the winter of Lithuania. And uh, is a project really exploring the landscape through this kind of character of a, a Yeti that I made a costume for. <laughs> and uh, Which was actually quite interesting looking. Yeah, and that costume was actually produced during a previous project um, called the Recycling Olympic Games, which I collaboratively organized and, um, and uh, yeah, organized. Um, and you do other things. You also have, have published a couple of how-to manuals. What are those? Uh, one how-to manual, one cookbook, and one photo book. And uh, I really love cookbooks and how-to manuals for as long as I can remember. I would find them in in thrift shops and pick them up. And so I really like that aesthetic. Mm -hmm. Um, And also these things just uh, maybe I felt they were missing from the world, so I wanted to to produce them. And, And how does that relate to your art, though? A lot of my work is really open source, mm-hmm. meaning that uh, anyone can access it and reproduce it. Mm-hmm. Um, so one cook, the graphic cookbook that I'm working on now, all the information is already online. Just I'm making it into a book as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the same with the, the how-to manual that you're speaking of, reconstruction manual. All the information already exists. I just wanted to see it in this this tangible book format. Mm-hmm. You, you're also you're involved in uh, a movement or uh, something called the Error Collective. Yeah, tell me about that. Error Collective is a, a very loose um, collective of artists, designers, and makers. And when we do projects, it kind of uh, blurs the lines between performance and installation and uh, other things. And through this collective, we really embrace um, the mistakes of daily life. Hmm. Give me an example. Uh, Just all of our work is filled with mistakes and we get hurt all the time. And uh, Is, is that on purpose? No, it's very much not on purpose, but <laughs> we we laugh about it and it turn we turn it into art and um and fun. So from from a mistake or you create the art or is that part of the process? I think it's part of the process. Hmm. Like it's an in- inevitability mm-hmm. and um we don't try to hide from that inevitability. We embrace it rather than um not showing people those imperfections we we do the opposite you know when i look was looking at your work how do you value your work you know a typical artist you, you go into a uh, a gallery and there's their painting or sculpture or pottery and it costs 265 dollars how how do you value your work which is very different. I think probably I considerably undervalue my work, and uh, often when I'm making it, I 
kind of think of myself as cheap foreign labor. <laughs> but um, there's other valuation that I take into consideration about the work. Is this project interesting for me? Is it a good experience? Will I uh, do something that I can really be proud of uh, in the future? And all of and how supportive is are the organization that I'm working with um, going to be? And I think through all of these things, uh, all of these things really add value to the work that's not monetary. I, I was just going to say that perhaps it's it, it's not monetary value that is your takeaway. It's the experience, the um, learning what you've learned from that yeah. um, and how others, what they have taken away from it. Yeah. So perhaps there's more value, intrinsic value in that. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, so long as I don't lose money and the project is interesting enough, I'll probably do it. Following up on that, so a, no, a number of those, those projects, um, I'll just name some, Lighthouse, um, The Mushroom House, those were done. You were paid for that work, yeah. by and large. Okay, so that's what you're saying, and and whatever you charge them, perhaps you're saying might be a little undervalued. Yeah, considerably. Oh, okay, isn't that true though? In most artists, where um, we don't know all the countless hours and training and learning that goes in, and and you're looking at a painting and you're saying that's not worth three hundred dollars, you know because. Well, a lot of artists are considerably overvalued too. There's the like top 1% that are considerably overvalued and then everyone in, in the middle that's probably undervalued or somewhere in between. Well, that's almost like society. Yeah, the top 1% uh, you know um, versus the the middle and yeah. then yeah. I I think you have you you may have touched on this, but what what do you hope that people take away from one of the sculptures um, that you have that you have made? I think in, in most of my works I want um, people to take away a feeling of empowerment because through all my works or for most of my works I'm working alone building these architecturally sized in installations and um, and for them to take away a feeling like oh I could do that um, so this feeling of empowerment, like, oh, I can build this energy generation device or build this large structure on my own if I just applied myself a little bit. It's not, it's not really that hard. Yeah, to some degree. I mean, um, they also need that creative spark that, that is evident in your work. I think it just takes a little bit of application. But, oh, there you and go. A little bit of uh, kind of self-training to encourage that. So there's hope for all of us. Perhaps. <laughs> I feel uh, like what I'm doing most of the time is really just what I did as a kid. Just always building stuff, always taking things apart and making new things out of it. Did you play with building blocks and stuff like that? Certainly, yeah. Uh, Frank Lloyd Wright said that that's one of the best gifts you can give a I, child. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Um, what's next for you? You're here in Moab until when? 
I'm here in Moab till the end of the month or the beginning of August mm -hmm. about, and then I will fly back to Taiwan. I have to renew my living and working permit and spend time with my partner. And, uh, and that, but the next projects will probably be in next uh, winter. And and again, will they be? Are you going to stay in Taiwan, or will will you follow your um, your vision for your next project? Uh, I'll stay in Taiwan for a little bit, and then come back to the U.S. for Christmas, and then go to Europe for the next project. Hope is the plan. Okay, um, we've talked a lot about your your installations, your projects. Um, how do people, uh, one, get in touch with you, or what's your website, and, and how will they get in contact? Uh, my website is justintylertate.weebly.com, and I believe my email is on there, on the contact page. Um, I also have Facebook that I don't update enough, and an Instagram that I don't update enough, but... Yes, your email is on... I, I believe the website. website. Yeah. yeah. Where will your work, your final product or projects, where will people see them and be able to participate with them in town? The installation will be installed at Lion Lions Park, kind of behind the pavilion. There's a big sandy area. Okay. And do you want to? Give us a preview of what it is, or you want us all to just be surprised until we come up there and see it? I think being surprised is okay. Great. Well, Justin, I want to thank you so much Thanks, for Richard. coming up here to KZMU today, and I wish you all the best in your stay here in Moab and throughout your career. Thanks so much, Richard. You can hear Art Talks on the airwaves at KZMU every third Monday of the month at 4 p.m.